coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Not everyone is going to like your performance or like the way you do things. And, and that's fine as well. There's 8 billion people in the world. So if you're going around trying to get everyone to like you and appreciate what you do, that would be quite a challenge. So it's just trying to bring the best of yourself to those moments, prepare the best you can, put your best effort and focus into it. And what will be will be after that as regards the outcome. What a great message to kick off the show with. Tony O'Gregan shares more brilliant insights like this during the episodes, so stay tuned to hear them. But first, we have to say a big thanks to a great partner we've had for over a year, Avonmore Protein Milk. They've supported us from the start, and as usual, they're going one step further. They're giving us prizes to raffle off to our followers, our listeners, and people who support the show. So if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter, at Separate Podcast, or at Sleepy Perform Repeat on Instagram for more information on this giveaway. And finally, we're both extremely humbled every time we get a new follower, a new subscriber, or even for every new listen. So thanks a million to everybody for supporting us. And if you do know anyone who'd be interested or would enjoy the show, please do share. And we'll continue to try and provide value to you each and every week. So thanks again. Thanks to Avonmore. And let's get to the episode. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons, and learnings. And here we are, episode number 116. Today we spoke with Tony O'Gregan, performance psychologist, coach, and former inter-county hurler with Galway. Having competed as a player at the highest levels with the Galway senior hurlers from 2003 to 2013, Tony transitioned into performance support, coaching, and leadership development, and in his journey moved away from working as an accountant. Tony has over 15 years experience working with leading sports and corporate teams, including All-Ireland GEA senior champions, CEOs, HR directors, and support staff. He's a strong background in leadership and mentoring skills and a proven track record of achieving results at local, national and international levels. We talked to Tony about how working environments can find a cohesive and teamship rich culture after a period of isolation and distance due to the pandemic. He explains how individuals can respond mentally to a loss of form or serious injury and how a player can build confidence, manage lofty expectations and scrutiny and perform optimally under pressure. We unpacked the story about when Tony was dropped from the inter-county team and how he responded to that challenging period. With vast experience in training communication and collaboration collaboration with key stakeholders. This is one to listen to intently. Tony O'Gregan, thanks a million for coming on. Great to see you. How are you? Great, Kieran. Thanks very much for having me on. And David, really looking forward to the, the chat today. Yeah, look, really looking forward to tapping into so many different areas that you're a specialist in, Tony. But for, for people that don't know a lot about the work that you do, what do you do? Predominantly at the moment, Dave, I'm working as a coach and uh, for that could mean a number of things, you know, for a sports team in the area of sports psychology, I would help the team with developing, you know, the team identity and brand that they want to be proud of and represent. And we also look at ways of, you know, what does success look like for us in a season? What does a success look like for us in a game? And how do we break that down into you know, a planned process of goals and the resources around that to help achieve it. So, you know, that would be looking at it from a team development point of view and the sports psych side of it. And then from an individual point of view, you know, working with an individual in a, in, in a sports setting, you're looking at their, their week and how do they, I suppose, optimize their performance off the field to allow them to be their best on the field. And that can be talking through what are the stressors in their week what are the things and the priorities that they need to get executed outside of sport 
and what are the things that they're finding challenging at the moment. So you're helping them to organize and plan their week and their days to optimize their performance off the field. And then when Saturday or Sunday comes that, you know, they know how to access the, the core skills to perform under pressure, their, their confidence, their concentration, their ability to stay composed in the moment and execute what they needed in that moment. And, you know, equipping athletes with those skills, uh, you know, throughout the week and throughout the year to help develop those key processes. And then from a business setting, you could move into, you know, leadership and leadership coaching, where you look at some of the fundamentals of leading self, which would be your self-confidence, your self-awareness, your self-control, looking at leading others and how you do that around your relationship and communication skills and bringing people on the journey with you. And then within your environment, how can you adapt to some of the external changes that are happening for us? How do you bring a positive and optimistic outlook to things when, you know, challenges happen and setbacks happen in your organization or your team? And, you know, what are some of the key goals and, and the vision to achieve those goals within your team and organization? Um, and then, you know, I've worked part-time lecturing in sports and exercise psychology in GMIT before Christmas. Um, I also enjoy the coaching aspect of it in my own club in, in Rahun and helping players to you know, achieve their potential around that. So I, I find that the principles of sports psychology can be really accessed in, in, in organizational level for business and for business leaders and also in the sports setting, obviously, and how that plays out. So, you know, I think it's it's become more and more of a, a science for people that they want to explore how they develop their mind and how they develop things like confidence and concentration and, you know, dealing with pressure and dealing with nerves, etc. So, you know, I think there are a lot of human you know, skill sets that everyone really wants to access, be it in business or sport or whatever your performance domain is. I'm nearly smiling here because the amount of topics there that we love to cover, you're hitting all the ones. So I'd like to dive in first to the goal setting piece. And your career has taken a shift from what you originally set out in terms of your professional career being a chartered accountant. Was it conscious processing and planning that you made that change and shifted in terms of where your future goalposts were? Or was it always destined for you? Did you feel like you were always going to go into that psychology space from when you started playing hurling for Galway? Absolutely not. I think uh, when I think back to a young Tony Og, um, doing his leave insert, had an interest in maths, uh, business, uh, economics, accounting, because I think they came quite easily to me and I didn't have to learn an essay or poetry or a language around it. So uh, I think it was a, a short route to get good grades and uh, it kind of came fairly natural to me with a bit of work. I was able to get kind of good grades in those subjects. Uh, I had a sister who had gone on and done commerce as well and was starting to go down the route of uh, of accountancy. So probably followed her guidance and advice in a way as well. Um, and from there, I kind of went into the, the chartered accountant route for nearly four years and got qualified. And after that, I worked six years in, in industry. Um, so definitely psychology probably only touched on it when I was playing where I would read a lot of sports psychology books just to help understand my mind because I think I was an athlete particularly in the earlier part of my career I would tick all the boxes as regards the gym sessions being the top 10 probably you know strength power fitness um, you know we're always a diligent trainer on the field around their pitch sessions and, and our video analysis but 
you know, when it came to the big day, I found I was inconsistent in my performance. I was inconsistent around my confidence levels, my concentration levels. And, you know, I didn't realize they were skills that you could actually develop on a daily basis and, and how to bring them then to the match day environment as well. Uh, so I was always trying to explore that when I was playing. How could I do those things better and be more confident performing? And, uh, you know, I can remember particular instances in, in All-Ireland finals, be it at minor and under 21 level, where definitely nerves and anxiety got the better of me. And I, I, I wasn't able to access my skills that I trained for and I wasn't able to access my, my, my potential. So I think born out of that, you're kind of looking at reasons why and what are the solutions. And, you know, I probably only got exposed to my first sports psychologist in 2006 with Galway. Uh, and uh, Ger- John Maguire was his name, uh, and a really interesting guy who's gone on to the States subsequently and, and developed uh, a whole range of apps around the golf side of things. And then Jerry Hussey came into our, our squad in 2009-2010 with the Galway Senior Hurlers and started to implement some of the, the practices around sports psychology. And you know, from there, I think I got a real keen interest in it and, and, and devoured books around it. Did I know I'd be changing career at 29 or 30 going down that route? Not fully sure. Um, I explored through the player development program, the GPA, you know, how we could maybe look at personal development and career development. And I wasn't sure, was it accountancy I wanted to leave or what were the choices? But working with a career coach that time, Fran O'Reilly, started to open up my perspective to some of my, uh, you know, personal preferences, some of my passions and some of my insights around that. And you know, we explored maybe the idea of looking at a, a part-time course in sports psychology and I completed 20 weeks of that and just loved every minute of it. I, I devoured research papers, the book recommendations, the class discussions and for someone who had come from a business background and, uh, you know, had to probably look at a lot of regulation and auditing and tax, which wasn't exciting. You got over the line and you hoped you'd never see the book again. You know, this opened up my whole new world to a new way of learning and something that I was really curious about and passionate about. And I kind of knew a couple of classes in that I'd love to go on and do a master's in this and progress further. And after the course was finished, I applied to Waterford IT and went down there for 15 months on another journey and, uh, you know, got qualified in it and completed the master's. And so all in all, it probably took the guts of two and a half years to change career and then you had to have the chat with your boss and say, uh, listen, I'm thinking of going at this full time and, and thanks so much for the last five or six years, but I just feel I need another direction in my life. And um, then the fear starts to come up. Uh, you know, you've been always paid a salary monthly uh, through a company and uh, you cut all ties with that and you have no income coming in for the first month or second month or third month. And, you know, that creates a lot of fear and self-doubt. Am I making the right decision? Um, your parents are probably questioning after 10 years of college and 10 years of working uh, why you've made this choice at 29, 30 and you probably have to challenge some of that and ignore some of that at different times and, and just go with what feels right for you. And uh, I was thankful then Jerry Hussey had started you know, a sports psychology program with the Galway footballers that time in 2015, 16 and asked me to come on and work with him. So that was kind of my first kind of paid sports psych job. And, and that was a great relief that you had, you know, a program there for the year to work on with the team and the players. And, uh, you know, from that year, then we started working with the tip senior hurlers in May. Uh, and that was an incredible journey to win a, a Munster in All-Ireland in our first season. 
and uh, would have worked with Kevin Walsh in for the next three to four years with the senior footballers, uh, Tipperary senior hurlers for the three years under Michael Ryan. Started working with the Galway minor hurling team with Jeff Linsky for three seasons. Tony Ward was involved with the Galway under 21, so was helping him out there as a selector in sports psych and, you know, numerous other kind of uh, sports teams and club teams kind of came in in the last couple of years and Limerick two years ago. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a, a really interesting journey the last five or six years, predominantly in the area of sports psych but also working in the corporate space around uh, leadership, team development and health and well-being. Wow, an awful <laughs> lot there, Tony. What a fascinating um, pivot. Michael Gervais, who obviously is a psychologist, uh, world-renowned, works with the Seahawks, says you can train your craft, your technical expertise, your body and your mind. And what's really resonating here is, is the mindset piece. And I suppose I'm curious about for players, for a hurler or any athlete, that maybe has suffered an injury or suffering a loss in form, which happens to everyone. You've mentioned confidence. You've mentioned performing under pressure, expectation, trying to get back to the player that player was, identity piece and all those sort of things. Where does that start for one of those players, be that coming back from an ACL or bad run of form, but you know there's more to that player? Yeah, like our belief is a such a key component of who we are as people. And, you know, if you believe you can or you can't, you're probably right, as Henry Ford had said, you know. So starting with what the belief the player has around himself and his ability to recover from this injury and get back to the levels of performance he had. And, you know, is his mind orientating towards re-injuring? Is it orientating towards, you know, the failure that if I don't get back to the player I was? And, you know, it's about holding that space and allow that player to express some of those thoughts and feelings and emotions he's having around the injury and what's concerning him and worrying him. And and from that, then you can start to maybe challenge some of those truths that, you know, what is the evidence to suggest that you're on the right path and you're making progress from your injury? And, you know, physios are a fantastic part of this that, you know, during the rehab process, they're able to text so much now between strength and flexibility and power and create real confidence, confidence in the in the athletes that there's concrete evidence there that, you know, your left side is probably stronger post-injury than it ever was. And, uh, you know, your right side is, has made 40% improvement in the last six or seven weeks. So your process of recovery and, you know, the, the routines that you've built in are, are working amazingly well. And what you're eating and how you're sleeping is having a great effect. And your mindset as well of how you're thinking about this has all created great healing and great progress around this. And it's probably just starting to set in, you know, when I hope to be back on the pitch, what's that look like and what some of the challenges I can do uh, prior to going back into the pitch that would help with that and you know working with the rehab team around you know doing things at 50% doing things at 70% doing things at 90% bringing in a bit of contact all helps to create you know concrete evidence in that player's mind that he is recovering he's getting better and he's going to be even better than the athlete that previously played and you know open open the train and then as the level of confidence rises and also the level of challenge rises so you know i would say it's a multidisciplinary approach around that and, and the sports psych and the physio all have a part in that as well as the management team and, and players around supporting that athlete uh, you know realize that they can get back to levels and maybe even surpass the levels they perceived and you know if you can break down that negative 
uh, thinking pattern or belief at the start. It does help with that belief of, you know, this, you know, rehab program is working. I can get back to that player and I can even surpass that player that's, you know, I can see in my mind. And, uh, you know, I really love to see a player overcoming some of those negative beliefs he has around maybe re-injuring or, or not getting back to previous standards. And, you know, oftentimes the previous standard could be, you know, is an All-Ireland winner, will I ever be an All-Ireland winner again? But no one can guarantee that. So we need to look at, you know, what was the player I was? You know, I was, you know, committed. I was honest. I was smart. You know, I can definitely train those things. You know, what was I like on and off the ball as an athlete? Well, I was quick. I was aggressive. I was, you know, and it's trying to recognize these patterns are something that we can get back to again and, and explore them with the player and set some, you know, key goals around them and some markers and, you know, it's, it's a lovely to see a player who's had that struggle for nine or ten months uh, come back and break down that and, you know, see the enjoyment coming back into them then that they're able to, you know, run again, hop again, sprint again, change direction. And I think it gives them a greater appreciation of being able to do those things and also the the joy of been playing the team sport or getting back to competing at that level and maybe the things you took for granted, you appreciate them a bit more, whether it's your teammates or the training aspect or, or the journey that you're on. Uh, and I think it's, you know, sometimes we do need these setbacks, whether it's not making a team or an injury to appreciate the work that goes into it. And you have to be consistent around that, but also appreciate the enjoyment factor in it and the fun factor into it and trying to, you know, reconnect with that as much as possible. Yeah, the first person kind of that springs to mind there is Brendan Maher coming back from his knee injuries, ACL, and then not only winning All-Ireland, but Player of the Year and doing so well with Boris Lee as well, even scoring with a broken hurl. Looking back for your own journey, back in 2008 when you received a letter from the chairman of Galway saying you weren't to be a part of the panel anymore, what did that journey feel like for you, that time when you're facing into that setback as a player? And then with the knowledge that you've acquired now, what sort of advice would you give to yourself back then? Or what things would you have changed from the approach you took? Looking back, like I think all the experiences that I've had, I don't have huge regrets over them. I think they've all helped shape how you view things now and how you can maybe impact the next generation coming and in your own life as well. So when I did get that letter, I suppose... First off, I was in the, the middle of Australia along the East Coast with about four or five of my mates uh, just getting away from everything. And my mum has actually had received a letter and probably hid it from my father uh, over the disappointment that he would have maybe read it first. So I kind of knew in the back of my mind that I, I wasn't a part of the panel maybe around October when the squad had started to reconvene. And uh, you heard murmurings of who was on the panel and who wasn't on the panel. And you know, a lot of my friends were on that panel, so they were able to share with me that we've had this meeting or we started this gym session and, you know, maybe they just haven't called you yet. But, you know, the longer that stretched on to in mid-October, you kind of knew that there was maybe bad news coming. And, uh, you know, by the time the letter came out, I probably had a, a fair idea. I wasn't on the initial panel for, we'll say, 2009. And uh, I probably not made peace with it, but I knew that was... The decision that arrived at you know I wasn't going to change any old coaches or opinions mind on that and you know one person in that situation did have the power to make that decision and it was outside my control so you know I probably escaped from from the whole lot really and decided to go away for five weeks to Australia 
you know, probably didn't want to be answering questions from club mates and friends and family members over the Christmas period around how Galway are going and are you training hard and are you not on the panel and why you're not on the panel. And I was kind of hoping that the whole lot would kind of pass and when you come back then in January that you could reset the gauge and just concentrate on yourself and your work, etc. Uh, so when it did come back, I think, uh, you know, obviously there was uh, people who would be asking you now and again, are you on the panel and on the panel or how are you fixed for the match? And some people wouldn't even be aware. So they were difficult things to answer to say that you're not in the panel after, you know, maybe six years at that point and you're only 24, 25. And, you know, it, it probably took a lot out of me answering those questions and, and a lot of sadness for a while. But at some point, you have to say, I'm going to play the victim here and blame the management team or, or blame the county board or blame teammates or whatever it is you might uh, like to, uh, you know, apportion the explanation to. Because we all explain things and we all explain successes and failures. Uh, it's just how we're doing that is the important thing. So if I went down that route, you know, I could have been telling that story for the next nine or 10 years. But I probably wanted a different story to be told and, you know, I started looking at the comeback and how the comeback was going to happen. Uh, from a career point of view, I was finishing up my contract and that was around March time. So I knew I was going to be out of the job, which was another big setback, I suppose. Uh, I knew I was going to be unqualified as an accountant, which was another setback. So all of those kind of things were kind of playing around as well and maybe a priority in my head was, you know, I have to focus on my studies now and I've got the time to do that. I'm not going to be in a county squad. And those exams are on in August. So I had a bit of time to allow that to settle. You know, we're in the middle of a crash as well where there wasn't going to be a lot of work. So uh, I knew I probably wouldn't pick up another accountancy job at that point in time. So, you know, I think I'd worked quite hard for the five or six years straight after college and never really had a break. So mum said, you know, why don't you take a couple of months yourself now, like a, a career break? And most people travel for a couple of months or whatever, but you've never actually rest. You've gone into a Galway squad since under 14. You know, you've gone straight from college to an apprenticeship. And maybe this is the time for you to just have your little career break and relax and come back and move home. And, you know, I definitely took her advice on that and, and tried to relax a bit more and, you know, not get overworked about uh, money. And, you know, signing on the dole, then I found that really, really hard at that time. You know, you were after playing in the Ireland final three years ago, and what's the perception of you now that, you know, you're going on collecting your dole on a Wednesday and, you know, you had this job and you've lost that. And, you know, so there's a whole host of kind of negative stories going around your head about yourself and your capability. And that can be quite challenging on certain days. And it does affect your mood and mental health that am I a failure? I couldn't get my accountancy exams. I, I failed as an inter-county hurler. I don't know if I'll ever get back there again. And, you know, at that time, you kind of have to lean on the support around you. And my parents were amazing. My sisters were amazing. Uh, my friends around me were really, really supportive and did encourage me that, you know, I will get the exams or the right work. And I proved that before. And, you know, I will get back on the Galway squad. I can do that again. And I've played in all Ireland finals at every age group. And you have the ability. It's just applying yourself now again. And, you know, once I, I got that support around me, I kind of looked at, you know, the goals and the action plans around that and involved, you know, people I knew that were really good in their fields, like the Gary Ryan, who would have been working in the college at the time and worked with the tip hurlers. So to worked on my speed development with him. Fergie Gers, he was a top class physio up the road for me and I would have done a lot of flexibility, mobility and gym programs with him. 
and uh, would have worked diligently then on the hurling side of it with different coaches as well to bring that up to scratch again and gone in with the goal intermediates was a good help in that as well to have summer hurling and progress so that's how I kind of went about it and by the end of the year everything kind of turned where passed the exams by the by a couple of percent thank god and you know from there I got asked into the Galway senior squad again around November and that was a huge you know relief as well as you know a sense of achievement after all the work that I put in the last nine or ten months like I would have trained ridiculously hard maybe 10 and 12 times a week for a number of months just to get back to that level and it was insanity but you know I really wanted to pursue that dream again and when I got back there you know I felt I was going to really go after it in a new way with a new enthusiasm and um, you know thankfully then Galway had a, a woman called Mary Kenny who helped us out, you know, get back into jobs and she got me into Creed, the heart charity, you know, worked there for years in accountant during 2010 and, you know, it was just great to get those pillars in your life around you again and uh, be earning some money, uh, you know, being qualified and been back in the Galway squad and, you know, I had good relationships around me as well at the time, so I was very thankful for that. Yeah, that's quite a story to come back from such a setback so strong in such a testament to resilience and grit. I'd like to flip it for a minute, Tony, and, and move forward a couple of years. And like Kiran said earlier in this conversation, there's so many different avenues we could take this down. But something that I saw on your LinkedIn profile was you, you do a lot of work in the cohesion space. We spoke to Ben Littleton a couple of months ago, the author of Edge. and He did a lot of work with a fellow called Ben Darwin, former Australian rugby player, trying to build cohesion rather than culture in environments. And it's something that struck a chord with what's going on in Ireland and the world, we've become a bit more isolated, right? We're a bit more individualistic. People are keeping their distance, kind of keeping away from each other. When we're going back to the workplace, in whatever form that is in the next couple of months, how can you build cohesion and togetherness and that teamship that we've probably lost a little bit because of the pandemic? Yeah, and I think um, it's a super question and, and it has been a challenge, you know, for every team, be it sports or business over the last couple of months to stay connected. And, you know, I I really love that part of my work where, you know, you create that environment for people to, you know, discuss what's important to them. And, you know, that might be always the, the business or, or the, the performance in, in, in sports setting. It's how we actually feeling as an individual and team at the moment, you know, are we anxious? Are we frustrated? You know, what is the emotion that's there at the moment? And, you know, it's very hard to access high performance and it's very hard to be your personal best when you're you're anxious over something in your life or you're frustrated or you're feeling a bit hopeless around things. And, you know, it's giving people a space to express that, you know, that you're not on your own. Uh, you know, there's probably at least a quarter if not a third of your team that are feeling very similar symptoms at this moment in time and there can be great kind of group support and group connection around that and you know when you get teams opening up around that level of vulnerability it really brings people closer together and you know I've been fortunate enough to part of groups where you know people shared how losing their dad or a mum was such a, 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 t- a t- tough time in their life and you know, when people kind of come forward that vulnerability, it's amazing four or five others in the group have had that experience and that can become a little support network in its own. Like people can, 
you know, really resonate with. I know how you're feeling there. I've been through that. And this is what the first year was like when my mum or dad died. And this is how we tried to cope. And, you know, there's other people that maybe had addiction or gambling problems at different times in the team. And, you know, they can be a form of support and, and, and help each other around that. And then there might be other people who have suffered, you know, mental illness at different times and gone down, you know, a path where they've felt depressed and depressed for a number of weeks on end and haven't shared it with anyone before and, you know, thought that they were the only one. And when you get to that level of vulnerability, it's amazing the trust of, you know, you can go to a person then around the sales report and say, you know, we didn't go that well with that client there. What do you think we could do better? And it's not such a big deal anymore. There's no barrier there to that level of communication because we've probably shared our biggest concern our biggest deepest fears with each other and from that trust you know all of a sudden you have a team who are really connected really supportive of each other but you know not afraid to challenge each other as well when we feel there's a, a higher standard there in each other and a higher standard in the team and it's just trying to create that environment as much as possible that you know, what is open and honest feedback and how do we get to that point without, you know, being very vulnerable and honest with each other around our own personal histories, maybe, and our own personal struggles. And from that, then you can really, you know, go to new places individually and as teams. Um, and I think that's a huge part of it, that vulnerability piece and that sharing piece. That's exactly what I was just about to ask in terms of that word vulnerability we had Graham Betchart, an American sports psychologist. He works NBA mental skills coach. He works with Zach Levine and some of these big NBA players. And he always mentions and always goes back to not controlling the outcomes, just being present and being vulnerable in the moment. I'm wondering, I've seen you put out some great content on not detaching from the outcome. I'd love you just to elaborate a bit on, on that space. Yeah, like, and I think when I sit down, particularly with an athlete, like we kind of get hung up on the win or losing, and that for me creates a lot of stress, pressure, and anxiety. So, you know, it's about breaking down that expectation and realizing in a lot of field-based sports, there's probably a hundred and one different factors that tie into winning, like how well the opposition play, and that could be twenty individuals. You know, the couple of decisions their management team make around substitutions or non-substitutions. The referee is a part and his officials around their decisions. And then me, the player, is maybe 150th or 160th of that. So if I'm going to base my success as an athlete off winning or losing, you know, you're going to leave yourself really uh, disappointed because you have only such a small part in that. And it's about recognizing what is success for me individually on Sunday, what is success for the team, and how much of it is in our control. And, you know, been a part of the Tipperary dressing room or the Limerick dressing room and even listening to a podcast yesterday, Jim Gavin, they never, ever mentioned the word winning uh, throughout the season, which you might find it hard to believe. But if you went to a lot of underage teams, the coach, we're going to win this today and we have to win this and we should win this. And, you know, what it's creating then is an environment of pressure. And, you know, I'll be validated when we win here. And if we lose, the coaches you know, won't even acknowledge the team maybe. So it's about like, what is the things that help us to win? It's our performance. So what do we need in our performance to win and how do we break that down? What's an excellent performance look like from, you know, the technical and tactical, mental and physical side of it and having four or five key markers around that. And then how does that reflect in our preparation on Friday night? How does that reflect our preparation on Tuesday night and the how? 
and we really hone in on that and getting her how as excellent as possible and giving ourselves the best chance of achieving success around that. But, you know, winning and losing, it's nearly, you know, such a last part of the, the equation that, you know, there's so much a player can do and an athlete can do around their preparation of the week. There's so much they can do around their performance principles uh, on the on the Saturday or Sunday. And it's about honing your skills around them and giving yourself the best opportunity to perform. And that's where we focus our energy on. That's where we focus our conversations on. And week to week, that is very empowering because you're trying to make this Tuesday session the best of the year. And next Tuesday, we'll try and improve on that again. And the Friday session before a game, could we make that even better before the next Friday session? And our last performance, could we make that even better? And how would that move by a percent or two? And when we review that, then we can say, we did these things really well. And these are things we're going to hone in on again and choose a night to improve. And it's very empowering to see that throughout the season and throughout the year where you're really focused on things in your control, like your performance and your preparation and doing them to the utmost and doing them excellently is a very high standard to attain. But, you know, it's a great place to go to. And I'd imagine, you know, they're the kind of conversations that the Dublin football team are excited about rather than winning the six in a row or seven in a row or eight in a row. It's how how good can we get at the game and how what kind of standard can we set around the performance that's going to be remembered for a long time. And Tony, with those exemplary standards, the consistent amplification of standard from Friday to Friday, 1% better, it's about the process, doing all the little bits. Um, Leinster Rugby, Dublin GA, Limerick, the All Blacks, we know, we know who these teams are, the Patriots dynasty when they were together. Um, it, it must be hard at times to keep that, to keep that standard across the environment from management to players so how can they recover? Like, what's the recovery strategy? What's the mental practice that those players, that Agarod Hegarty and Akeen Lynch and Sean Finn and these sort of players must do to give themselves the best chance to keep on getting that bit better for that next training session prior to the big game? Yeah, and I think it's something often neglected where we, we, we look at high performance and just the performance aspect of it. But, you know, most of these guys and, and, and lady athletes I would experience that recovery is a huge part of it that you know you might only train for an hour an hour and a half a day what are you doing your other 22 hours to help you get the most from yourself and you know it's been meticulous around their diet to an extent without getting you know um too perfectionist around it either you know allowing yourself maybe an 80 20 rule around that you know, around sleep that you're maybe aiming to hit the seven or eight hours mark, you know, for students, there might be a point where you might sneak an old power nap in for 25 or 30 minutes, you know, your levels of hydration and trying to avoid, you know, caffeine and sugary foods, because we all know they can spike, you know, your energy levels and, and your anxiety at different times. So, you know, your food and your nutrition would be really important part of your recovery, your sleep would be important part of recovery, but also, you know, time away from training and training conversations is so, so important. And I think that would be the biggest one that, you know, these lady athletes and male athletes would actually spend a lot of time with friends and family and doing hobbies outside of sports. So when they come back to it, they're fresh and hungry and there's a bite for them then to improve again. Whereas they're constantly on thinking about their sport and training and how to get better. You know, eventually they start maybe 
getting annoyed by it and frustrated by the you know the sacrifice of it at times so you know giving those little breaks and training and breaks away with friends and family and doing the things that relax you having fun enjoyment are really important aspects of it too and you know whatever that is for people it could be walks in nature it could be swims in the sea it could be art and drawn it could be playing the playstation you know it could be playing a different sport and they could be the ways that people relax and, and switch off from the, the pressures of high performance and you know i think they're fundamental and part of organizing the week as a high performer is when do i take my nights off and what do i do my nights off uh, and you know what is my routine around sleep and recovery and you know getting four or five things there that work for you and practice them consistently on a daily basis yeah the consistent excellent basics is we've often heard from high performers i'd like to ask you you've had an absolute storied career so far both on and off the pitch what's next what's down the line for tony o'gregan um i'd love to put a book together uh at some point and i've definitely wrote a lot of chapters uh for it uh even starting last year at the start of lockdown and you know i i was you know fortunate enough to be able to share some of those chapters with um paul kilgannon who wrote a, an unbelievable book be the best you can be in life and sport and uh there's a number of mental skills that have been part of that book and Another friend of mine, Damien Lawler, um, when the world stops watching around career transition and athlete transition, you know, allowed me to share some of my insights around that. So, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, sitting down and writing those pieces and, and learning about my experiences and how they can maybe be brought forward to share that. So, you know, the next space I want to do is maybe to create a book around high performance principles that I've probably learned from, you know, been an athlete for over 10 years at that level and also been a coach the last five or six years at that level and just studying, you know, the best teams and the best operators in, in business and sport and putting a, a manual together around that that would hopefully be impactful and helpful to, you know, the business leader or the parent or, or the coach or the athlete to, to get the best out of themselves. And what's amazing there is you're mentioning every, every sort of person. You've mentioned parent, you've mentioned athlete. That's what's resonating here. The two of us are studying high performance. That's what this podcast was founded upon. How can we learn? We're curious about what, what the best people do. So what can we take from Tony? Um, so I think it's only fitting because we've touched on so many aspects that make you you, but make the work you do so uh, influential and valuable. What does high performance mean to you, Tony? Yeah, I think I was asked this a couple of weeks ago and um, hopefully I have it fairly nailed down. But uh, I think it's just committing to doing the small things consistently well uh, would be how I look at it and try to frame it. Um, whether that's preparing a meal for yourself, or your family and doing it to the best of your ability, you know, whether that's around your sleep routine, whether that's how you answer an email to a potential client, whether how you chair a meeting in your club your society your your business it's just trying to do that to the best year level and best level of preparedness prior to it and giving it the respect prior to it that would allow you to deliver a really consistent performance so if that preparation is for five minutes or an hour that you know that that's the best preparation you put into it and you know regardless of how the performance goes that if you prepared well for it and you know what a good performance looks like and you've aimed for that and you've consistently aimed for that well, then I think there can be a lot of uh, sense of achievement from that. 
not everyone is going to like your performance or like the way you do things and and that's fine as well there's eight billion people in the world so you know if you're going around trying to get everyone to like you and appreciate what you do that would be quite a challenge so it's just trying to bring the best of yourself to those moments prepare the best you can put your best effort and focus into it and what will be will be after that as regards the outcome and you know for you you can interpret your success around that you can interpret what went well you can interpret what you need to improve on and if you've you know trusted lieutenants around you who you value and respect absolutely go and ask them around maybe some blind spots you had that you did well or didn't do well but you know sometimes we need to also ignore you know the negative opinions out there that you know would we ask these people for an opinion on the most important thing in your life so why do we maybe listen to them when you're throwing out a few ideas of what was good or bad or brilliant or excellent and you know sometimes people use throwaway comments without any facts behind it and uh, you know label something as good or useless even though what is good and what is useless you know it's all up to our own interpretation so it's important you understand what look good looks like for yourself what success looks like for yourself and you have a kind of a review process around that that would highlight the things you've done well and maybe improvement areas for yourself and uh, I don't believe that there's any perfect human being out there. There's no perfect meeting. There's no perfect team. There's no perfect performance. We will always have areas of improvement. And, you know, that's the great part of learning that we've all blind spots to develop as well. Tony O'Regan, the two of us are really grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. Um, the challenge, we want to see that book. We want to see it in O'Mahony's. We want to see it in Hodgers and Fidgets and Eason's and all these sort of places. And, put us down for a copy we're, we're buying that book and thanks very much for your time today thanks lads um, I've, I've communicated to the world now so i have to go and do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's out there now and you got two sales anyway so you're on the way cheers tony thank thanks you a million. thanks very much thank you for listening to today's episode of sleep eat perform repeat a story of high performance this was brought to you by howora a whole person well-being company founded and run from dublin ireland Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. <laughs>